All right, we are, as you know, in Exodus, in the, um, the part of Exodus where the law is being expanded upon, the uh, Ten Commandments are being expanded upon. And just so you know, this is done in other places in Scripture. So you can go to other parts of Scripture and the law is expanded upon even more. Um, it's actually kind of uh, just a little bit here. It's not like uh, we have chapters and chapters of it. But Leviticus expands upon it. It's expanded again in Deuteronomy. And it's, it's, um, there's, there's more than this. But this is what we're covering in, in Exodus. Um, when Moses gives the Ten Commandments, then immediately he begins, God begins to expand upon that law. Um, the Ten Commandments are spoken as uh, absolutes, thou shalt not, and then the rest of the law tends to be given as situations and how you should apply the law. And as we've said, um, that culture is radically different than our, and the, ours and the applications may be different, and we also live under a new covenant, so there's a lot of things that have to be taken into account, and yet the principles are still true. So um, in chapter 20, we see uh, laws about altars that, that you do not approach God, you approach God on his terms. You worship God according to his principles. You don't come to him with the work of your own hands. In fact, the, the altar is, is um, something which is built without any tools. We just pile up rocks, we pile up dirt, and that's where we worship because what's important is that God is making his name glorified. Very next thing he deals with is the respect for life and life at regardless of what, what your social status is, radically different from other legal codes in, the old, in that time. Uh, there was a difference whether you were a slave or you were a, um, um, an upper class or whatever the levels of society were. Um, respect for parents, respect for life. Last week was really expanding on the idea of stealing and that the principle for us is the, the, the original principle is thou shalt not steal, but the opposite of stealing is not not stealing. The opposite of stealing is generosity. And the ultimate understanding is that all of our needs and everything that we um, desire is found in God. So our, our hands should be open. Our possessions should be uh, being shared and being used. And because of that, we are very careful about other people's property but we're very generous with our own property. That, that's the idea. Um, this week, we have a whole um, potpourri of laws. It's as if everything just kind of gets thrown in at the very end, although I think there's a kind of an, an organizing principle, but uh, it, it may be stretching it a little bit, so I just want you to know that. But it seems to me that the laws that we're going to cover, this will start in Exodus 20. Uh, 22 verse 16 have to do with uh, principles that if they are ignored lead to a society which is unjust and unkind and and um, hard in other words these are things that will cause the society to kind of corrode at its foundation and you'll find your society being a cruel unjust society if these things are not um, adopted by society. 
Um, as I read through these, some of them I think are society, uh, because of some of the Christian foundation, some of the Christian uh, principles that were laid, does a really good job with. And others, we can see the foundations falling away right before our very eyes. Um, and ultimately, what we want to do is apply this because we can't necessarily change society. We change, allow God to change us, right? Um, and we, we then affect the people around us. We're salt and light. But these are principles that if a society moves away from these, like I said, you're going to find the, the society sinking into being somewhat barbaric. Um, that would be my organizing principle as we go through. And you'll see there's a whole bunch of different principles, but they all kind of go to that. I can't pick one law like last week was thou shalt not steal for these. It's kind of all over the place. So let's start in verse 16. And actually 16 and 17 almost could go with the, what we did last week, thou shalt not steal. Um, if a man seduces a virgin, who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any other God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people, with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and offer the and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit, siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet with your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice, uh, pervert the justice due to a poor man or to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will acquit the wicked. I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner, 
you know the heart of a sojourner, you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Okay, so a lot in there. Um, and some that we could spend a lot of time with, and I, I don't know if we're gonna get all the way through this uh, today, but we'll see how we go with it. Uh, the very first one, I think, is an example of what I'm trying to say when I say it's corrosive to society if, if um, some of these laws are not followed. Um, the, the principle on uh, the, the case of a man who seduces a virgin um, is that it's really the law of retribution. You have taken something from her that's irreplaceable and you have to make it right. So if you seduce a virgin, and by the way, this is not rape, right? This is two people who, uh, two young people who, uh, to use the euphemism, uh, sleep together, and now, the, um, now f dad finds out about it. How does dad find out about it? She probably gets pregnant, right? She probably gets pregnant. Um, and, and now she's with child, but it could be that he discovers it some other way. And so retribution has to be made, but what's actually happening is you're protecting something much more important. You're, you're protecting that family. You're protecting the, the family that is, um, that it will be now not formed. Um, and you're protecting the woman. Uh, he has to marry her, or if he doesn't marry her, he has to pay the bride price. And the reason he's not gonna marry her is because dad-in-law says, I don't want you as my son-in-law. You're, you're, you're bad news. But the woman now has been damaged. It's gonna be hard for her to marry. And the bride price, was set aside to protect her. And so he has to pay that money anyways. Now, we don't have bride price, right? Anybody pay for their, their wife? On and on. On and on, okay. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> Hopefully the rewards have been well above whatever you had to pay. Yes. <clears throat> um, the, the interesting thing, though, is that, that this situation is something that has happened throughout all of history. Um, a guy getting the gal uh, pregnant and then the marriage taking place to protect her and to protect that child. Um, my aunt, my, my mom's brother's wife, so she's not direct, she's aunt by marriage. She decided to get really into genealogy. So she went back, did all the genealogical research for her family, for my family, on my mom's side. And she, um, she was able to go way back, because we have a famous relative on our side of the family, went way, way back. And she told me, she said, you know, it was interesting how many premature births there were. <laughs> uh, she said, in fact, it got to the point where if somebody got married and the first child wasn't born within seven or eight months, you began to wonder if maybe there wasn't a miscarriage. <laughs> um, and, and that was back generations, right? Well, <clears throat> I, I still remember when that was uh, just on the verge of my memory. When a guy got a gal pregnant, what did he do? He married her. But somewhere along the way, we took and said, nope, we're not gonna do that anymore. 
And I don't care what the reasons are. And now we have a society where that's not even expected, right? There's really no consequence. Um, and the, the government will take in and take care of that child. And what has it done to our society? Yeah, it, it's, it's been devastating. I was talking with a <coughs> public school teacher. He works at a continuation school, so it's a little unusual situation. But he took a field trip with his kids. And, and um, he had like 20 kids in the bus. And he got a call that um, one of the kids' parents was upset that they weren't back when they said they were. So he was talking with the kids and he said, one of your, he didn't know who it was, one of your, um, um, somebody's parents called. And they said, the kids said, what do you mean parents? None of them had two parents. Not one child in the bus had two parents. I was talking with a, a gal who's, um, I taught her children at Emmanuel, and just asking her about the kids and talked to her about her daughters. Then she got to her son and she began weeping. He has a child, he's graduating from college this year. He has a child that's out of wedlock. And the girl now wants nothing to do with him, so he has no ties to this child. And, and she said, to, he's up at Sacramento State, and she said to him, but this is why we taught you that, that, that that's wrong. And he said, Mom, in the society I live, this is not wrong. In fact, he goes, it actually would have been wrong if we hadn't been sleeping together. Okay, that's the world we've created by taking and pulling away from a principle that, that, that the child and the gal need to be protected. And yes, it might be a rough marriage, maybe at the start, but it's just interesting, isn't it? You, you pull away from that principle and, and, and the, the society, the foundation starts to, to grow. I don't know how we get it back, um, but we need to be salt, salt and light to these, to these people. And I think all the rest of these are similar. When you abandon these principles as a society, it begins that corrosive process. And when we abandon them in our own lives, it does the same thing to us. It, it, does, it, it, it eats away. Um, I was thinking about some of these, the, the, the concept that our society adopted. Um, I remember hearing it first when I was in high school, so it may have been around a lot longer, but was the concept of a victimless crime, right? Victimless crimes. Well, is any crime victimless? Right? That's how we got rid of adultery laws. There used to be laws against adultery in the United States. Well, adultery is a victimless crime because it's between two consenting adults. But nothing could be further from the truth. There's a lot of victims when there's adultery involved. Right? It ripples out throughout society. So um, that is pretty sobering because that's one area where our society has just moved as far away from what God has, has told us as possible. And we're watching the, the consequence to a, a generation of children that are growing up not in homes that are where there's a father and a mother. And, and we have abandoned this principle. So any comments at that point? I know everybody's pretty sobered at that point. Um, all right. Let's move on, because I'm preaching to the choir here on that, right, I assume. Um, look at the next three. 
you sh and we're not going to spend long time on these, but you shall not permit a sorceress to live. You shall not, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any other God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Um, a sorceress was one who claimed supernatural power to influence the gods, could do spells and charms, what we would call a witch. Um, and the actual word means one who mutters because she was speaking her charms under her breath and, and um, she is a direct attack on the society. It has the most of the society that's functioning where, where there's one God, the right God and being worshiped. That's the just and fair society. This woman has no place in Israel is what it's saying. Um, next, whoever lies with an animal shall not be put to death. Um, a direct attack on, on the importance of, or the, um, the sanctity of human life and, and the proper function for a, a man and a woman, for a man to substitute, or I guess a woman, what says man, for a man to substitute an animal for a woman is, even for us, that's really hard to imagine. Um, how long do you think <laughs> till that's the next frontier? My only hope is that PETA will jump in and say that the animal's not consenting. But, um, but um, you, you, there, we're gonna have a clash of, of, but we have moved in kind of a different direction where we're actually at a direct attack on the fact that there's such a thing as male and female, right? The whole transgender movement is, is saying that what God said about the foundation of society, which is that God created male and female. I was at a wedding last night and Pastor Scott spoke and it was just a beautiful, you go back, what did God do? He made us male and female and he made woman to be the perfect complement for the man and the man to complement the woman. And when they come together, they form one flesh. And our society is saying, no, there's no male and female. I can't assume that somebody's male or female and you can be whatever gender you want to. And if you want to marry a man or, uh, and you're a man, that's fine as well. No, it, it strikes at the very heart. This is an extension. And by the way, bestiality was um, common in the culture in Canaan. The Hittite law code actually spoke of which animals you could cohabit with. So this is something that a society degrades to. Um, and, and we're in the process of doing that. Well, we should be praying for, for our society um, because those things rip away at the very foundation of our society, all right? So it even got more sobering. <laughs> and then you get to um, verse 20, who, sa who are sacrificed to any God other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. Uh, we live in a pluralistic society one of the problems though is that we have accepted without question the idea that anybody can worship any God that they choose, right? I mean, isn't that the foundation? We have freedom of religion and it protects us, but it also lays a, 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 a trap for our society that, that we actually come to believe that it doesn't matter who it is that you worship. 
Um, we wouldn't believe that, but I, I would be willing to bet if you asked your coworkers, does it matter to you who I worship? No, not a bit, right? If they're not believers. So these are things that just corrode away at society. So let's, let's get to some that are a little more practical, unless somebody wants to say something at this point. Nobody wants to jump in here. Um, the idea there was, um, it, it was a stronger word. I, I was curious about that myself. It's a stronger word than kill. It's like uh, obliterate. Make sure that there's nothing left. It's, there's, there's kill and then there's devote to destruction. So um, when they, when they um, captured AI, for instance, or not AI, but Jericho, Jericho was devoted to destruction. You destroyed everything. So. Um, um, there, it's a stronger word. It means this person has absolutely no place or anything they represent in this society. You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I know that it wasn't put into practice because people were worshiping foreign, I mean, apostasy reigned throughout Israel's history where they worshiped other gods. Um, anything else? Okay, let's get to some that may look easier, but maybe they're just as hard. I don't know. Um, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And then this is repeated at the end. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So you shall not miss. You shall not um, um, oppress, a sojourner said at the beginning, at the end of this section. Um, go over to Levit Leviticus chapter 19. And verse 33 through 34. <clears throat> <clears throat> When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This takes it a little bit stronger. Um, we are to love the sojourner as ourselves. Um, who is the sojourner? Or what is a sojourner? Somebody passing through. Um, but what's interesting is the Israelites were sojourners in Egypt, <laughs> right? So the idea is somebody who's passing through. It's a stranger who's passing through. But it really replies to somebody who's out of place where they are. Um, so let me ask a hard question. Who are the sojourners among us in the United States? Do we have any? People coming in. We have a huge immigration debate going on. And um, I, I believe that a nation has a right to, to establish borders and who can come in. But if they're here, our responsibility is to treat them with respect and to, to love them as we would love ourselves. 
Um, that is an unusual thing for any society to do. No other legal code in the ancient world had said anything about strangers coming through. Strangers were like non-people. But they're not non-people, right? They're real people. <laughs> and, and our responsibility as Christians, regardless of what you feel about whether they should be here or shouldn't be here, is that they need to be treated with respect and with kindness and, and loved because they were sojourners. Uh, the Israelites were sojourners. Um, but I, I think this is where you get to even the wider principle. You know who else is a sojourner? We are sojourners, right? Everybody remember the old song? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. This world isn't where I live. If you go to Hebrews 11, what does it say? None of these people, they were all looking for a heavenly country, one that was, that, um, was promised. And they did not see this world as their home. They were looking for a, a, a city whose foundations were laid by, by God. So uh, I, I think if we jumped into the immigration debate right now, um, several weeks would go by, and I, I don't know if I want the politics of it, but maybe we should, so I'll throw it open here in a second. But, but I, I really think it's easy for us, let's say you're on the side to kick them all out, to begin to say, um, almost dehumanize them, that they're somehow less than human, that as a Christian I don't need to treat them as, as a person with respect. And that, that works its way down into to the, the, the psyche of people and into the psyche of the nation itself. So Darla, it looked like you were gonna jump in. Let me take some comment on that one. And we've seen that now with the way that he deals with, the law deals with slaves, and now with sojourners, and the very next thing is the widows, the orphans, and then those who are poor. And it really shows God's heart for those people who are the weak, the disadvantaged, the ones who are in a position of vulnerability. So, other comments? John, it looked like you were gonna say something. You decided not to? Go ahead, Rod. <clears throat> One of the most difficult times I ever had in prison uh, was when Ramadan was going on with uh, the Muslims, and they were occupying the chapel that we had scheduled to, to be in, and there was just about a, a major war between the Christians and the Muslims at, at that point inside the, the prison. Just because Christians thought, hey, we're entitled to the chapel, and Muslims thought, we're entitled to the chapel. And a, a prison guard finally stepped in, and I kept saying, hey, we'll, we'll move, we'll, we'll go someplace else if you can set us up somewhere else. And, and uh, after that, I walked away, and I'm saying, well, did I do the right thing, you know, or, or should I have let uh, 
Um, I, I think the principle would be to love them as you love them to yourself, to treat their life with respect, their property with respect, to, um, to like we said, be generous with them, right? Um, the idea, the opposite of stealing, to be careful with them, but they would not have been expected to intermarry with them, right? There would be certain things that were off limits um, because that actually would have been forbidden, but they were to be treated and that, that, like I said, it's radically different from anything else that's taking place in the ancient, ancient world. Any other comments before we, we move on? <clears throat> I just plant that seed, you, you can think about that. I don't know if it changes what you decide about whether illegal immigration and what we should do and whether we should build a wall or any of that stuff, but, but the ones who are here are, are sojourners among us, whether they got here illegal or not, and they need to be they need to be treated according to what this says. God, is there a difference between, when you speak of sojourners, is there a difference between somebody that comes into your country looking for a place of sanctuary as opposed to somebody that comes into your country looking to injure you, to overthrow your government, to, to do harm to the people that, that are native here? Would God have... Would God have had the same thing to say about... What, an invading army? Yeah. I mean, that would be the ultimate... It is such, kind of like an invading army, although it's much more of yeah. an undertow. It's not, not outright. Yeah. I understand what you're saying, and that's where the immigration debate goes. And now I think we're moving into an area that I'm... Because when I meet somebody who... If you meet somebody who is not from here... Um, you're res regardless, uh, all you know is that they're a, a foreigner among us, mm -hmm. then your response as a Christian should be to be loving and generous and, and even welcoming to them. Um, so, but should we import foreign um, people who have vowed to destroy America? No, I would think that would be very foolish. But we have some foolish politicians too, so um, probably that's happening or has happened. And then uh, one more thing of the nuances of sojourners. Um, I'm from immigrant parents. Both of them, when they came to this country separately, they, they didn't come with the thought that they were passing through. Yeah. They, they came to put down roots and become American. Yeah. It's a little different, yeah? It is, but I think back to uh, to ancient Israel, when they went into Egypt, right, they didn't expect to stay. They didn't expect to stay, but they did for 400 years, right? So they were a large um, immigrant population that had come and stayed and never went back home. And that's what it refers to, that they are the sojourners. So, okay. Let's let that one uh, percolate a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to go further with that, but let's go on to a couple of the others, and we won't get all the way through this. <clears throat> I'm going to take <clears throat> um, verse 22. 
you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Um, this is something that God takes very seriously, not treating, uh, not oppressing the widows and the, and the orphans. An orphan here probably is fatherless as opposed to not having both children because uh, a woman without a husband, a child without a father was in a very precarious place. Um, it is wicked societies that oppress widows and orphans. I don't know, it, it's hard for me to imagine, why would you do that? What do they have to offer, <laughs> right? What can you take away from them if they're, if they're already poor? And yet they were oppressed. Israel, whenever it went apostate, oppressed widows and, and orphans. Jesus talks about the unjust judge who won't give, uh, won't give justice to the, to the widow. Um, go over to Isaiah chapter one. In verse 23, <clears throat> it says, Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. So in this case, it makes a little bit more sense. A widow is being, um, is, is being, uh, harmed by somebody else, she brings her case, and because of the bribe and because the rich man has more influence, her case is dismissed and she has no legal recourse. And that was in a time of great apostasy. Go over to Isaiah 10 and verse 2. Actually, we'll go start at verse 1. It says, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their, of their right, that widows may be their spoil, and that they make the, may make the fatherless their prey. And again, this is woes being spoken to an unjust society. Um, but let's, let's take this. By the way, notice the law of retribution. <laughs> if you oppress the widows and orphans, I will make your children and your wives widows and orphans. Um, God actually speaks judgment upon that. But let us now think in terms of the New Testament. What does the New Testament say? Does it say not to oppress widows and orphans? Was that? It goes further than that, right? The New Testament always moves this further. So what does it say in James? Pure and undefiled religion is this, that what? You visit the widows and orphans in your distress and you keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, our, our, the, the Christian response to this is not, oh, okay, I won't oppress a widow and orphan. It's to say, I'm going to be generous with widows and orphans. I'm gonna provide for their needs. Um, as a church, we should be doing that. And as individual people, we should be doing that. If you know that there are uh, somebody who's in need as a widow or as an orphan, uh, it, it's our responsibility to help to provide for that. Uh, so this takes it further than that. We don't just get to say, I didn't oppress them. As Christians, we're called to a higher calling, to love them as we would love ourselves.
Rod, looks like Bruce, you were about to say something, but. Yes, that's what it was. But it was actually withholding the ju uh, justice well, from them. Beyond that, if you know they have a need and you're not, you're not uh, providing for that and have the ability. Yeah, whether or not they would have gone that way or not is is hard to know. Um, so I don't I don't know the answer to your question. Whether or not not helping them was oppressing them. Uh, I, sustaining their oppression. Yeah. I think if you read through the Psalms, and we're gonna look at one at the end, that, that yeah, that's the principle, is that we're to be generous people in giving because God has given to us. Um, but I know it's in the New Testament where it's stated explicitly, right? Um, anything else, Bruce? <clears throat> Although I do know there's places where the, there are truly orphans who need an orphanage. Yes, yes. What they really need is homes. So one way, and I know our church has made a big emphasis on that, is adopting children into your home. Right? That's one way to care for the widows and orphans, is to bring a child into your home and to provide for them that way. Um, that's caring for the orphans. Uh, but that's an interesting point, that sometimes we set up an orphanage and think that we've solved the problem. We've certainly provided, but we may not have provided what they actually. And I think there's a tendency even in this country for people to say, well, you know, I can't take care of my kid, you know, and, or maybe I don't want to take care of the kid because it doesn't affect my um, lifestyle and so on. And I, I do think there's a lesson and the value of what the family is and what its kids are gives them God. Yeah. Well, and even that, if you want to get political, and I, I know I'm probably walking into a minefield, but by moving all of the support as coming from the government, it's easy for us to say, well, we've taken care of it through our taxes. You know, we have all this money going to these poor people, so why should I worry about them? And, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing would be the argument, but it still falls back on us to be personally compassionate and generous with those who are in need and the, the weakest of, among us. Uh, I wanna finish with one last thing here. I know we're moving through this quick, but I don't, uh, again, these are basic principles. Uh, number, uh, verse 25, we're almost out of time, but it talks about lending. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a money lender to him and you shall not exact interest from him if ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body. In what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear him, for I am compassionate. Okay, let me ask the question, especially of you businessmen. Why would you loan money to somebody 
if you didn't get any interest? And why would you take somebody's something from somebody in pledge, which means the idea is you hold that until they pay you back, if and when they need it, you give it back to them? Why would you do that? I was going to say, isn't the point here? Go ahead, Darla. Well, the Lord I'm, yeah, I'm asking from a businessman perspective. Why would a businessman do that? If I've got money and I'm going to loan out money. I think that you have a charitable reputation, maybe. Oh, okay. Okay, so do it for a, a kind of an ulterior motive there. Compassion. I was going to say, the only reason you would ever do that is compassion. I'm doing the deal because you have compassion in this person. You don't want the collateral, but you've got to have the collateral. And then the rascal needs the collateral back, and he's still in the deal, and he's still up. Yeah. I mean, we, we charge interest on money because you're assuming risk, right? You, you, you give somebody money and you expect something extra back from it and you take the collateral in case they don't pay it back. And here God is rewriting those rules for the poor. And so the one logical response to that would be, well, then I'm not lending to the poor. <laughs> why, why would I lend to the poor? I get nothing out of it. But the, but the Christian response is we lend to the poor out of, compassion. We lend to the poor because that person needs something. And what is the basic principle of all of the ten, the second half of the Ten Commandments? Love your neighbor as yourself. Go ahead, Darla. You had mentioned that from a business perspective. I was originally going to say something else. Okay. Um, the Lord gave us, you know, Christ, knowing that we could never give him anything in return. And all of our God is the one who outgives all of us. Thank you, Darla. And actually, there's a great verse, Darla, that goes along exactly with what you're saying. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. <clears throat> Proverbs 19, 17. Nope. Oh, crap. No, there it is. I was looking at night now. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the Lord lends to the Lord and he will repay for his deed. Uh, if you lend to someone who is poor, you're actually lending that to God. That, that's an amazing principle. Um, of, of all the people in the world who will repay you properly, who would it be? 
God. <laughs> okay? I, I might pay you back penny for penny, but God pays us back overflowing. Um, the, the, the principle there is you've got poor people among you. You're probably going to give to them and you may not get it back. Then you gave it to the Lord. Um, Mel told a great story last week. He told me afterwards. You want to tell that story, Mel, about your mom? Got to make it quick, though. Got to make it quick. Well, she was, uh, this was back in the 50s, and uh, she was working as a waitress, helping out a friend that owned the store, uh, the restaurant. Anyway, this guy came in and wanted a hamburger and uh, uh, fries to go in a paper bag. I mean, just take it out. And she looked outside, and uh, in the car was the wife and two kids. And he, she inquired, well, how come, aren't they going to eat? And he says, I'm going to share it with them. <laughs> she says, bring them all in. And she bought them all dinner or stew or lunch, whatever it was. Anyway, well, at evening, she relayed this, what happened to my, us, my, myself and my dad. And my dad says, well, what if he was a scammer? He was just trying to work on your, and she says, well, if he was, it's against him. If I didn't feed them, then it would be a problem on my part, and I'd always worry about it. And I would rather worry about him being a scammer than the fact that the kids went hungry. Yeah, uh, it, was a very, it was a really heartwarming story for me when you hear that. Yeah, she lent to the Lord, is what she did. She gave to the Lord. It wasn't even lending. But, but that principle, and Darla, you just said it perfectly. God has given us so much that we can never repay. And what he's asking us to do is that same thing. So as people come through into our lives, the, the sojourner, somebody who's just passing through, or the sojourner who's among us, the, um, the uh, widow, the orphan, the poor, that, that's the mark of being a believer, is to look at that person and have our heart filled with compassion for that person and to meet their needs. And it may cost us something financially, but it doesn't cost us anything actually, because whatever we're doing, we're lending to the Lord. Um, and and, and that's, that's the principle that comes out of this. It's not just a bunch of laws about how to treat um, certain people, but again, the, the principle I said at the beginning, when you have a society, when you have people who shut, if you're the type of person who shuts your heart to the sojourner, to the widow, to the orphan, to the poor, and it's easy to do, then that begins to, to tear away at your foundation, just like it tears away at society's foundation. We, we become hard and cold and spiritually dead if we're not doing these things for the people around us. Uh, Tom.
And Jesus even talks about that. When you go out, don't invite people who can, can invite you back over. Invite people in who cannot repay you back. Uh, even go that far that we're going to invite people in who there's no way they can ever repay us because, because then you have reward in heaven. God, God honors that. Uh, I want you to jump back to Psalm 112. We're going to end with this. I was reading this psalm this week, um, and I just thought, man, um, here the psalmist has touched on so many of the points that we're dealing with, and some that we haven't quite gotten to as well. But uh, the title in my, my Bible is, The Righteous Will Never Be Moved. That's the foundation. <laughs> 112. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's kind of hard with psalms. Yeah, it's 112, the whole psalm. It's all of 10 verses. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. By the way, that's the opposite of I will make you your children widows and orphans. Um, Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, so that's giving, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who uh, conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady, he will not be afraid. Until he looks in triumph on his adversaries, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Uh, and some of those things actually, when we get in further, the idea of giving justice to the people and making sure you're a just person. But, but that psalm tells us uh, very clearly what God expects of righteous people uh, and what the overflow of our hearts should be. It's not just that he expects it. God has given us so much that we should be giving to others. And our material possessions have been given for that purpose, to... to um, to uh, show our generosity to the people around us. That's why the very next thing is tithing. Give to the Lord of the first fruits, because we always want to remember that everything that we've been given, even financially, even monetarily, everything is a gift from God, and He expects us to be generous with that. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're a couple minutes over.